Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by, and welcome to the One Medical Second Quarter 2021 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask the question during this session, you will need to press star, then one on your telephone. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker for today, Avery Singh, Securities Counsel at One Medical. You may begin. Thank you, Operator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Medical's Fiscal 2021 Second Quarter Earnings Call. I'm joined today by Amir Ganrubin, Chair and CEO of One Medical, and Bjorn Taller, Chief Financial Officer of One Medical. A complete disclosure of our results can be found in our press release issued earlier today, as well as in our related Form 8K, all of which are available on our website at investor.onemedical.com. As a reminder, today's call is being recorded and a replay will be available on our website. As part of our comments today, we will make forward-looking statements. These statements include statements regarding our pending acquisition of Iora Health and are based on management's current views, expectations, and assumptions and are subject to multiple risks and uncertainties. Actual results may differ materially, and we disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statements or outlook. Please refer to the risk factors in our most recent annual report as updated from time to time by our other reports and filings with the SEC including our quarterly reports. We believe that the COVID-19 pandemic continues to create particular complexity when it comes to providing a forward-looking view of the business, and we are providing our guidance on a good-faith basis per recent SEC recommendations. We would like to specifically caution investors that our future performance will be harder to predict for the foreseeable future. Our forward-looking statements are based on assumptions that we believe to be reasonable as of today's date, August 4, 2021. Information contained in today's statement should not be relied upon as representing our estimates as of any subsequent date. Of note, it is one medical policy to neither reiterate nor adjust the financial guidance provided on today's call unless it is also done through a public disclosure, such as a press release or through the filing of a Form 8K. Today, We will discuss certain non-GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. A historical reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earnings release. Finally, during the call, we may offer incremental metrics to provide greater insights into the dynamic of our business. These details may be one-time in nature, and we may or may not provide updates in the future. And with that, I shall turn the call over to Amir and Bjorn, for the prepared remarks and to take your questions. Thank you, Ivy. Welcome, everyone. And today we are pleased to share results from our second quarter and update you on how we continue to perform, innovate, and grow. In Q2, we delivered strong results as our human-centered and technology-powered model is resonating with a growing number of employers and consumers. Our membership count surpassed the high end of our guidance of 620,000 members for the quarter, nicely highlighting our momentum when considering we surpassed 500,000 members only a few quarters ago. Similarly, our revenue also exceeded the high end of our guidance. We achieved 
All this by delivering compassionate and impactful care through our fabulous team members and our technology, delighting our growing membership base. We also continued our focus on clinical innovation. For example, earlier in Q2, we highlighted the results of a peer-reviewed study showcasing how our model delivered outsized impacts in controlling diabetes, thereby enabling improved member health outcomes. We also continued advancing the power of our technology. For example, through further machine learning approaches that make navigating healthcare easier for our members and team. We also continued our strong growth this quarter, leveraging the multi-pronged approach that we laid out during our IPO, including growing across markets in our product portfolio and with our partners. Additionally, building upon our advancements, we are excited for the proposed acquisition of Iora Health and the opportunities it presents to extend our model to serve more individuals across every stage of life from children to adults to seniors. Turning to our Q2 performance, we had a strong quarter. We ended Q2 with 621,000 members, growing our membership base 31% year over year. We added 23,000 members during the quarter and have added more than 145,000 members over the past 12 months. We delivered 120 million in Q2 net revenue, which was up 54% year over year. We delivered a Q2 care margin of $53 million, or 44% of net revenue, which represents our highest quarterly care margin ever reported, even with our ongoing entry into new markets. We also delivered Q2 adjusted EBITDA of positive $7 million. Both our care margin and adjusted EBITDA results showcase the leverage inherent in our model. On the heels of four back-to-back strong quarters, With positive adjusted EBITDA, we are pleased to announce today that we expect our full-year 2021 standalone adjusted EBITDA to be approximately break-even. And while we are not providing 2022 guidance at this point, we are pleased to update our long-term goal for one medical standalone of achieving sustained positive adjusted EBITDA from year-end 2022 to year-end 2021, a full year ahead of the schedule we laid out as part of our IPO. In addition to our strong financial performance, our team continued to serve our members and our communities with a powerful technology and operating platform that combines nationwide on-demand as well as scheduled telemedicine, proactive outbound digital population health services, convenient in-person care, testing and vaccination services, and longitudinal chronic care and virtual behavioral health integrated into primary care. Our team also continued to deliver pediatric services for whole family care, workplace screening and testing services through our Healthy Together program, vaccination services, including for COVID-19, mindset behavioral health services, One Medical Now National Digital Health Services, and coordination of specialty care through connectivity with our health network partners. We see that our technology-powered multimodal care model coupled with our breadth and depth of services, continues to be a strong differentiator in the market. During Q2, we also continued to innovate with a technology-powered clinical care model. We were pleased to share results of a peer-reviewed publication, highlighting how One Medical members in our diabetes management program saw significant improvements in both glucose control and cholesterol levels. Notably in the study, Average hemoglobin A1C levels decreased by approximately two points. This two-point reduction is a significant improvement 
when compared to similar studies highlighting virtual-only solutions that did not include primary care to manage chronic care and reported improvements of only up to one point compared to our two points. For context, previous studies have found that a one-point reduction in hemoglobin A1C is linked to a reduction in risk of death by 21%, heart attacks by 14%, and microvascular complications by 37%. Building on our previously published study last year in JAMA Network Open that showed a 45% reduction in total cost of care, this is yet another proof point that our member-centered and technology-powered primary care model can generate superior outcomes. We also continue to innovate with our technology platform. We furthered our data interoperability with more health network partners and information exchanges, allowing for more sharing of information across a continuum of settings and advancing our role in owning the complexity of navigating care on behalf of our members. We also continue to expand our machine learning models to support streamlined analysis and sorting of external and internal data to make it more actionable with reduced administrative burdens on our team. This past quarter, we also continue to see many diverse opportunities for growth. As we laid out during our IPO, these opportunities include growing with consumers and with enterprise clients, growing in existing markets and in new markets, growing with existing partners and with new partnerships, growing service offerings, and growing the populations we reach. To date, we have demonstrated a track record of successfully executing across these growth avenues. We continue to see strong membership growth across our consumer and enterprise channels, with our model attracting a diverse set of enterprise clients. In Q2, we began new relationships with organizations in industries across legal, financial services, manufacturing, construction, insurance, real estate, commerce, software, and consumer goods. We also continue to serve members and employers with a growing set of service offerings. With recent examples, including One Medical Now, One Medical for Kids, Healthy Together Workplace Return Services, and Mindset Behavioral Health. For example, of the top 10 largest clients we signed in the quarter, 60% purchased multiple offerings, highlighting how our robust solution set continues to attract and serve a diverse client base. We also continued expanding our market presence and our health network partnerships, creating more opportunities for consumer and enterprise membership growth and more coordinated care across a continuum of settings. In addition to our nationwide digital health coverage, we are on track to expand in-person coverage from nine markets at the time of our IPO to 22 markets next year before considering IORA. Our health network partnerships are advancing clinically and digitally integrated care where we can further coordinate care and help reduce avoidable costs, while also advancing seamless service by owning the complexity of navigating care for our members. This past quarter, we were also excited to open our doors in new markets such as Kansas City and Birmingham and Huntsville, Alabama, with the launch of our partnership with Pareto Health. In total, we opened 14 new offices during Q2 across both new and existing markets, ending the quarter with 124 total offices along with nationwide digital health coverage. We also continue to make progress in preparation for launching our upcoming new markets, which include Columbus, Ohio, Houston, Texas, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina, the Miami, South Florida region, and Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Accordingly, we continue to see tremendous opportunities for long runways for growth 
in the employer-based insurance market, with a total addressable market of approximately $170 billion for primary care in the commercial segment in the United States. We have demonstrated a strong track record in engaging with members to help drive better health outcomes and lower health care costs. Moreover, we believe we can take these core strengths and also apply them to further serve the senior population in risk-bearing programs in Medicare through a proposed acquisition of Iora Health. The acquisition would meaningfully expand our potential market opportunity, adding approximately $700 billion to create a combined total addressable market of $870 billion across commercial and Medicare segments, including Medicare Advantage and the new Medicare Direct Contracting Program. As we shared on the transaction announcement call, our vision with Iora is to create a premier national member-based, technology-powered, primary care-centered healthcare organization. We believe we will be uniquely positioned to serve people nationwide and across every stage of life, from pediatrics through the golden years. Together, we will be able to provide nationwide digital health coverage and in-person care in 28 markets, which could reach more than 120 million people or nearly 40% of the entire U.S. population. We will bring together One Medical's proven capabilities to attract, delight, and retain members, as well as to manage ongoing chronic conditions while helping to reduce healthcare costs, with Iora's strengths in delivering outstanding high-service, high-quality, value-based care to seniors under global risk models. As you saw in the Iora cohort data we shared with you in the Form S4 filed with the SEC, Iora has been able to deliver outstanding outcomes under full risk while successfully managing third-party medical costs. Together, we will be able to further serve members and their families as they age into Medicare and migrate from employer-based insurance into Medicare. We will also extend our positions as a premier place to practice medicine by offering opportunities across a spectrum of patient populations, geography, and digital health models. We will also be able to further coordinate care with health network partners, to deliver better health outcomes and help lower costs. Most importantly, we plan to continue to delight our members with a modernized approach to in-person and digital health care with advanced capabilities for population health and care management within a range of reimbursement models, including full-risk models. We believe the acquisition of Iora will further One Medical's position as a leader in consumer-driven, technology-powered, high-quality, value-based health care that will support our members in living healthier lives while simultaneously saving costs, and as we help them own the complexity of navigating healthcare across a complex ecosystem. In closing, we delivered an outstanding Q2 and first half of 2021, as our team and technology help us to continue to perform, innovate, and grow. With our strong performance, we are now expecting our full-year membership to reach 670,000 to 680,000 members, our full-year revenue to reach $475 million to $485 million, and our annual adjusted EBITDA to be approximately break-even. We continue to perform with impact to our more than 621,000 members as our multimodal care model, technology platform, geographic reach, and breadth and depth of services remain strong and growing differentiators in the market. We continue to innovate in our care model, recently highlighting how our technology-powered and team-based approach 
Embedding chronic care management into a member-based primary care model delivers better results for consumers and employers. And we continue to execute across our many growth opportunities, serving more consumers and enterprise clients, expanding our footprint, aligning with premier partners, and growing our service offerings. While we have seen much success to date, we believe we are just getting started in our mission to transform healthcare. We are also excited by the opportunity to grow with Iora Health to expand our model to further serve the senior population, creating a significant opportunity to serve members of all ages and across every stage of life. We look forward to keeping you updated on our progress and appreciate your engagement with us. Now, let me turn it over to our CFO, Bjorn Toller. Thank you, Emil, and hello to everyone on today's call. I look forward to providing you an update today on our second quarter results, which highlight the continued momentum in our business, as well as an update on our Q3 and full year 2021 outlook. And just like Amir shared the strategic nature of the IORA transaction, I will briefly highlight its financial attractiveness. We would also encourage everyone to read the Form S4 we filed with the SEC in connection with the acquisition that further highlights the strengths of IORA's model and the exciting opportunity ahead for our combined organization. First, turning to Pew2. We expanded our membership base by 31% year-over-year, ending the quarter with 621,000 members, 1,000 members higher than the high end of our guidance. As a reminder, our membership count continues to exclude virtual-only One Medical Now users and any temporary users we care for as part of our community service during this pandemic. Turning to revenue, in total, we delivered $120.4 million in net revenue in Q2, up 54% year-over-year, and $2 million above the high end of our guidance. This revenue growth was driven in part by our continued strong growth in membership revenue, which was $20.8 million, up $3.2 million year over year, and which reflects in part the higher than anticipated membership number I shared earlier. Our strong revenue performance was also driven by our second quarter net patient service revenue of $43.4 million which was up 81% year over year. This growth was driven in part by our continued strong membership growth and the normalization of primary care consumption compared to the same period last year during shelter-in-place orders. Finally, our Q2 partnership revenue of $56.1 million increased 65% year over year. This growth was driven by our strong membership growth, continued annualization of select markets moving from net patient service revenue to partnership revenue, and by the continued strong results of our Healthy Together Workplace Reentry Program, where we partner with enterprise clients such as employers, schools, and universities to help them in their COVID-19 response. Moving down to P&L, we delivered Q2 care margin of $52.5 million, or 44% of net revenue. We were pleased to deliver our highest quarterly care margin ever reported, 
which reflects the leverage capabilities in our model, while at the same time we opened 14 new offices during the quarter and continue to prepare to enter six new markets over the next 12 months, all of which tend to reduce our care margin in the near term. Moving below cost of care, our remaining Q2 operating expenses, excluding our non-GAAP adjustments, were $45.6 million, and we're up 15% year over year as we continue to invest in sales and marketing, technology, and support functions. Compared to our revenue increase of 54%, this too reflects the leverage capabilities in our model. As a result of our Q2 revenue and expense performance, our Q2 adjusted EBITDA was positive $7 million, or 6% of net revenue, compared to a loss of $15.2 million, or 19% of net revenue in Q2 2020. Turning to our balance sheet, as of the end of Q2, we had $653.8 million in total cash and short-term marketable securities. We continue to believe that this provides us with ample liquidity to fund our continued responsible growth, as well as the integration and operation of IORA over the next several years. Let us now turn to guidance. We expect to finish Q3 with a total membership count in the range of 640,000 to 650,000 members, and we expect to deliver Q3 net revenue in the range of $113 million to $120 million. Please keep in mind that our Q3 revenue guidance reflects typical seasonal trends and assumes relatively modest contribution from COVID-19 testing. For the full year, we expect to finish 2021 with a total membership count in the range of 670,000 to 680,000 which continues to reflect our strong and growing value proposition in the marketplace. We also expect to deliver annual net revenue of approximately $475 million to $485 million, annual care margin of approximately $185 million to $195 million, and annual adjusted EBITDA to be approximately break-even. On the heels of four back-to-back strong quarters with positive adjusted EBITDA, we are therefore pleased to also update our long-term goal for one medical standalone of achieving sustained positive EBITDA from year-end 2022 to year-end 2021, a full year ahead of the schedule we laid out as part of our IPO. We are very pleased to provide this update, which demonstrates the ongoing strength of our business our ability to deliver responsible growth at scale, as well as the attractive leverage and unit economics inherent in our model. Before we close, let me briefly share a few thoughts on our pending acquisition of IORA. We consider the ability to drive profitable membership growth, engage with our members, improve their health, and lower their healthcare costs, core strengths of One Medical. And we are particularly excited about doubling down on these strengths with IORA and Medicare eligibles. In combination with IORA, we will be able to serve more members with our human-centered and technology-enabled model and enable better health outcomes, 
while at the same time working to further lower the total cost of care. This can generate more savings for our members, health network partners, enterprise clients, and payers, which will continue to make our service offering even more differentiated and attractive. We will also expand the in-person reach of our model to 28 markets from 22 markets, taking yet another step in creating a national primary care brand that delights members through exceptional care, both virtually across the nation and in a growing number of in-person markets. We also believe that this transaction can provide attractive revenue growth opportunities, coupled with an increase in our adjusted EBITDA margin profile. These financial opportunities will support us in delivering great value for our shareholders, as well as advance our efforts in serving all of our key stakeholders. Please note that the guidance we provided you with today does not include the impact of IORA on our business and that we will provide you with an updated guidance when the acquisition of IORA closes, which we currently expect to happen in Q3. In closing, we are pleased to deliver another quarter of strong financial results, including strong membership and revenue growth, coupled with the highest reported quarterly care margin in our history. We remain on track to deliver a great 2021 and are particularly pleased to guide to sustained standalone adjusted EBITDA break even one year early. Our value proposition continues to resonate and grow in the market as we continue to leverage our unique strengths to improve health outcomes for members while at the same time reducing healthcare costs. We believe that these strengths together with IORA position us to deliver impactful results to the Medicare population and will also continue to provide long-term tailwinds to our revenue and margins. And we believe the IORA acquisition will further enable us to transform healthcare at scale, allowing us to serve nearly 40% of the U.S. population in person in our combined 28 markets and nationally through our virtual offering, helping us create a national model for exceptional high-quality care. We thank you for your time today and we'll now open up the call for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder to ask the question, you will need to press star then one on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Again, that's star one to ask the question. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Ricky Goldwasser with Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. This is Connor on for Ricky. Um, could you provide us with an update on the selling season and, and what you're hearing from prospective employer clients? Um, which pain points are prospective clients most focused on, and are there any um, particular you know, solutions or um, service lines that are um, resonating more with, with, with the pipeline? Thanks. Thanks, Connor, uh, for the question. Um, this is Amir. Uh, we're uh, feeling very positive about uh, the selling season, and really we see that our model continues to be differentiated and stand out in the marketplace. As you know, we combine a membership primary care model with bundled digital health, inbound as well as outbound population health, with in-person care. Um, and that in-person care can be for well-woman care, for chronic disease management, 
uh, could also be for vaccines and testing. So we're finding our combination uh, of our model to be uh, very strong, as we uh, mentioned in the earnings uh, call, as we saw in the last quarter, we saw sales across an array of different um, importer uh, segments and, and industry types. And uh, as we also mentioned in the earnings script of the uh, of the top ten accounts we sold in the last quarter, sixty percent of them had selected multiples of our offerings. So uh, that could include our um, One Medical Now or our Mindset Behavioral Health Solution. So we're really seeing employers find that an integrated solution integrating chronic disease management, digital health, uh, vaccination, COVID services uh, continue to be very powerful, and we anticipate uh, that continuing into the future. Great. Thanks. And, and as a follow-up, maybe for Bjorn, um, could you maybe walk us through and give some more color around some of the puts and takes and second-half guidance, you know, especially maybe thinking about the, the fourth quarter, um, you know, what kind of assumptions does one medical have around, you know, flu, ac- uh, flu activity and, and vaccination campaigns and, and testing in Q4? Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um so look, we're obviously very proud of our performance in the in the first half, um, coming in two million above the high end of our guidance just for Q2. And when we look sort of at the quarter over quarter progression here, um, yeah, the first thing to just keep in mind is that about 64% of our Q2 revenue was generated either through membership fees or partnership fees. And as you know, these tend to be sort of less valuable than, than the net patient service revenue line. So, um, yeah, when I then sort of look at the volumes of services only, uh, when you look at the quarter, certainly Q1 clearly still had a lot of the tailwinds uh, that we talked about in the past, including high COVID testing volumes, including pent-up demand for uh, for healthcare services uh, such as annual physicals, deferred chronic care, and, and, and those sort of things. Um, going into Q2, we said that we were expecting those tailwinds to abate, and, and they did. Uh, looking back, they uh, abated a little slower than what we had anticipated, causing us to uh, outperform on the revenue side, but they certainly did abate. And, and now as we sort of look forward into Q3, I think the question is you know, uh, whether some of these tailwinds uh, re-emerge or, uh, or, or not. And, and certainly what's, uh, what's uh, baked into our guidance both for Q3 and Q4 is frankly largely an assumed to a return to a sort of more normal demand patterns with a uh, modest amount of, of COVID testing, for example, um, you know, also no particular sort of third booster shot for, uh, for vaccine is baked in. Um, just as well, just as much as we do not bake into shelter in place and we don't bake into uh, the guidance any uh, sort of pent-up demand for deferred care as well. So uh, really, as we think about Q3 and Q4, it's... Uh, it's uh, uh, in many ways a return to more normal patterns, and uh, to the extent that uh, that uh, we see uh, differences here relative to uh, the Delta variant or uh, or what have you, that that could be one of the swing factors, certainly for the quarter and the remainder of the year. Great, thank you. Thank you. 
Our next question comes from the line of Lisa Gill with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Great. Thanks very much. Uh, good afternoon, Amir and Bjorn. Uh, congratulations on, on the EBITDA in the quarter and, and the go forward guidance. Um, Bjorn, I just want to start with the care margin, which was great in the quarter, and you talked about leverage. How much of that leverage is coming from virtual care would be my first question. And then a bigger question for you, Amir, would be you talked about the peer review. You talked about, you know, chronic conditions, diabetes, uh, cholesterol, et cetera. Um, do you think that there's an opportunity to work with enterprises and employers uh, around different programs and, and perhaps take some level of capitation on, on some of these? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll start on, on your first part, and then uh, Amir can, can add on the second question here. Um, certainly, when you, when you look at the care margin, um, the first thing to point out is sort of the, the leverage that we built into our model, right, where sort of the, the outperformance on the revenue side does flow uh, or does tend to flow through uh, the, the remainder of the P&L as well. And, and I think you see this uh, in Q2 for both the care margin and also the, the EBITDA line here. Um, yeah, uh, just on a on a side note here, I think uh, yeah, as we look at the rest of the year, we do expect that to moderate here a little bit as we continue to open new offices. Um, yeah, if I exclude the Pareto offices, we've opened 12 new offices in the first six months of the year. Um, and if you recall, uh, we said we're going to open about 30 to 40 new offices for the full year. So we definitely do have a higher proportion of offices in the second year together with the six new markets that we plan on entering in the next 12 months. So that will moderate here a little bit. Um, but certainly, we are um, specifically to your question on virtual, um, it really doesn't have that much of an impact on our operations to date. Um, yeah, when you take a step back uh, for like-for-like -like services, certainly to date, uh, we are uh, being reimbursed approximately the same, whether a service is being uh, performed virtually or, or in person in our offices. Um, I think in the long term, you certainly could get to a place where you say, look, um, it's not just the member that, uh, that can take these calls and, and interactions from the safety of their sofa, but also our providers, which will help us uh, in, uh, in becoming uh, more efficient uh, or even more efficient with, with our assets, uh, certainly. But uh, in the near term, that's not been a big driver in our Q2 performance. And maybe, Lisa, uh, to take the second part of your question, uh, which was um, could employers work with us on programs um, to help them save money and, and even take capitation? Well, certainly, as, as we noted here today in the earnings call, uh, we have plenty of proof points that um, our model delivers outsized impacts. You know, today we talked about the study that we released in JMIR that showed that we reduced uh, hemoglobin A1C and, and took patients really from uncontrolled to controlled diabetes, a two-point reduction. Um, and this was, uh, you know, about double any other reduction seen in virtual-only solutions. So I think that's, you know, a powerful proof point on the impact on kind of outcomes and, and quality of care. And, and the study that we cited last year from the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA Network Open, where we showed a 45% reduction in healthcare costs, certainly shows that, that we can reduce those costs. And, and frankly, we'd be delighted to um, share in the savings of those costs. You know, what that study showed was actually 
uh, about a 26% reduction in prescription costs, a 33% reduction in emergency room costs, a 43% uh, uh, reduction in, in surgical specialty costs and 54% reduction in, in, in specialist costs. So um, we're a- absolutely um, uh, pleased and, and, and feel very uh, confident about the impacts we make there. Most of the employer market is not organized under a global capitated or capitated model. Uh, many employers are in PPO models with high deductibles and or HSAs or some combination. So kind of the power of our model is we can fit into their existing insurance structure and show that we can save money. And at some level, we've created a membership model. You could argue we're taking some capitation in a fixed, uh, in a, in a fixed payment there um, in, in terms of the membership uh, model. But kind of the power of our model is an employer doesn't have to do anything complex in terms of contracting to get really high engagement, get really great medical outcomes, and to be able to save money within their existing insurance programs. Great. That's very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Elizabeth Anderson with Evercore. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks so much for the question, and congrats on the quarter. Um, I was wondering if you could give me – I know the transaction still hasn't closed yet, but I was wondering as you've sort of spent more time um, together, even pre-close and our planning, what have been your biggest um, changes or sort of mo- areas that you're most excited about so far? Well, great. Thank you, Elizabeth, for the question. You know, I, I think as we mentioned in our S4 – um, this is really an exciting opportunity to bring together two human-centered, technology-powered primary care platforms and to be able to transform healthcare across every stage of life. And really what you had here in One Medical and Iora Health is, you know, two companies with very similar DNA, salaried model provider, built-for-purpose technology, a focus on a great member experience, and a focus on delivering value-based care. So that continues to excite us, and um, certainly nothing has changed uh, in our enthusiasm from what we've described in, in the S form. And uh, as we mentioned in, in our remarks today, we really believe this allows us to create a premier national member-based technology-powered uh, primary care organization. And each of us has shown, as we just talked about, we can deliver better health and, and better care outcomes uh, with lower costs, and to be able to do that, you know, from pediatrics to adults into the golden years, uh, we think is is very powerful. Also, as we described in the S4, um, this gives us an opportunity really to uh, serve a whole range of people across a family and uh, potentially add <laughs> dependents in all directions, uh, children, adults, grandparents, and be able to serve them um, together, um, we will be in uh, 28 markets, uh, reaching close to 40% of the United States. So we find that very powerful. And um, so that, that continues to excite us um, across, uh, across the enterprise, and um, we think that positions us to really be a premier national brand and healthcare organization. That's helpful. And just as you sort of think through that and sort of the addition, you know, the focus on chronic care and 
seniors and things like that. Are there any areas, does that change your view on whether you should get more involved in any areas of specialty care? Well, I think both of our models have really been primary care centered, but one of the things that we've done uh, extremely well that we've talked about uh, is these health network partnerships. And that really allows us to develop very tight relationships and coordination with specialists and to be able to avoid duplicative testing, to share digital information, to share clinical communications, to coordinate care across a continuum. Uh, and we've developed these interfaces and, and also have leveraged machine learning and other approaches to streamline the sharing of data and risk stratify populations. So we feel this positions us really strongly to advance highly coordinated care uh, as we move into kind of more complex and, and aging populations. So I think building on what we've built with our health network partnerships, that coordination of care capabilities is, is really, uh, I think, where, where we can shine in better managing uh, coordinated specialty care. Makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of George Hill with Dutch Bike. Your line is open. Um, good evening, guys, and thanks for taking the questions. I guess I have one for Bjorn and one for Amir. I guess, Bjorn, on the adjusted EBITDA guidance as it relates to the back half of the year, I guess given that you've put together four quarters consecutively now of positive adjusted EBITDA, what would have been the assumptions that might have driven it negative such that um, the guidance is now kind of po positive or, you know, up modestly for the year? And, Amir, my question is, it seems like coming out of COVID, everybody's talking about all things behavioral this day, these days. Uh, do you see an opportunity to take the business anywhere as it relates to behavioral uh, as a growth opportunity, or does it just not how you fit about the does it just not fit in how you feel about the primary care model right now? Yeah, thank you, George. So um, on the on the uh, question about the EBITDA, um, yeah, there are really a couple of different things uh, at work here. One, and you felt me earlier in the, in the Q&A actually talked a little bit about the expectation that our care margin is going to moderate in the second half, um, you know, in part driven by sort of the, the additional investments into, uh, into uh, our expansion and office footprint, et cetera. Um, the other thing that I would just uh, mention there is, you know, that we'll really continue to invest in our growth uh, on the uh, G&A line and also on the sales and marketing line, you know, whether that is continuing to build our technology, our brand presence, uh, whether that is, you know, continuing to build our service offering for the members, uh, looking at our health network partners, enterprise customers, providers. So, uh, yeah, we really want to make sure that uh, we continue to, uh, to grow in a responsible way, and that also means that uh, we continue to invest in our operations. So, that's a little bit of what you're going to see in the second half. And, uh, Amir, if you want to talk a little bit about the uh, other question here. Yeah, thanks, George. Yeah, in terms of behavioral, one, I'd say one of the powerful things about One Medical is we truly do coordinate and integrate care and, and no, not just think about it as, as different pieces. So, for example, some patients may have diabetes issues, behavioral health issues, um, you know, need a, need help coordinating a mammogram or a pap smear or an IUD insertion, may need a vaccine and also a COVID test. Well, we can do all of that. So our, our mindset behavioral health uh, program certainly 
delivers behavioral health uh, solutions to to our members, but powerfully, it's integrated into primary care. It's our team members in a salary-based model coordinating with primary care providers. And as I mentioned in the prepared remarks, uh, of the top 10 largest um, sales that we had in the in the prior quarter, 60% of them had multiple offerings, in, including our mindset behavioral health. So we, we continue to see that as something um, that, that will continue to resonate, will continue to be powerful, um, but particularly powerful because it's integrated into primary care. Just as we saw with the uh, diabetes solution, we can get outsized or, or, or double the, the uh, performance, published performance in, in the diabetes case, uh, when things are integrated in a chronic care longitudinal model as part of primary care. It's very helpful. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Steph Wissink with Jeffries. Your line is open. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Bjorn, this question is for you. I want to just take one more shot at the EBITDA guidance, maybe coming at it from a slightly different direction. If we look at your care margin guidance for the year, it, it does embed that step back. It, and if you were to decompartmentalize the pre-opening burden of some of your centers that you have planned for the back half from your underlying organic care margin, are you still seeing directional improvement in that underlying rate? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I mean, to some extent, it is how to decouple those, right, because we are really looking at this as what do we need to do to uh, keep investing in our product and making it even more attractive. Um, and, and certainly, uh, yeah, whether that is investing in technology, whether that is investing in the brand. You heard me earlier today talk about sort of, uh, yeah, uh building a brand with, with truly national reach, uh, certainly on the virtual side, but also, uh, you know, soon to be uh, able to deliver in-person care in, in 28 markets. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue to, uh, to build that. We'll continue to also build an ecosystem of additional services around that. We just talked about behavioral health. We, you know, talked in the past about one medical for kids, our pediatric service offering. So, you know, when I think about what does what is one of the things that makes one medical special, right? It's sort of that that interconnected ecosystem of products that we are building. Some we are putting back into the membership to make the membership itself more attractive. Some allow us to uh, to uh, charge additional uh, fees for for additional services, etc., like on the behavioral side. And uh, those are some of the investments that we are going to do, particularly in the second half here. Uh, frankly, looking to uh, continue to uh, to reinvest in the business and make sure that uh, that the growth that we've shown over the last uh, couple of years uh, continues to uh, continues to drive the business forward. Okay, that's great. My second question is just related to the comments on leverage. So it looks like that 120 million dollar run rate is about the level you would need to kind of get into the low single-digit EBITDA contribution level. Is that something we should think about going forward, and you're going to see some incremental margins as we look out into 22 and even into 23 as the business scales, both from a membership and a revenue perspective? Yeah, so we, we obviously provided uh, uh, some uh, financial numbers as well as part of our form S4. Uh, that also gives you a little bit of a sense of sort of how we are thinking about the ramp here. Um, you know, and again, um, 
if we were to uh, to uh, focus purely on uh, on EBITDA, um, yeah, I think we would ultimately do ourselves a disfavor uh, because we do think that uh, you know, there is a lot more growth to be had. Um, you, know, you heard us in the past say that you know, even in our largest market, uh, we are you know, just about 3% uh, uh, market share. So, you know, we'll continue to, uh, to really invest into that growth. Um, and then the other thing I would just say is that, um, you know, obviously with the uh, addition of IORA, uh, you know, you'll have an additional uh, dynamic here where the more members we sign up, uh, the more near-term drag you have on the margin profile because, uh, you know, many sort of new members uh, on the Medicare side are not well managed as they sort of, uh, you know, come to us in, in the beginning and over time will improve their health and their outcomes. Um, so that's another dynamic going forward that, uh, that you might want to think about here. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Richard Close with Canaccord. Your line is open. Great. Uh, thanks. Congratulations on the quarter. Um, Bjorn, maybe just on that last comment, um, you know, I know we talked in June um, about this a little bit with you guys, but uh, on, on the adjusted EBITDA, or I mean the care margin um, losses for IORA, and you just hit on it in terms of, you know, new co- cohorts and, and whatnot, but we still get this question a lot. Um, does IORA, you know, do you, uh, do you feel confident or do they have a track record of the older cohorts actually having positive um, care margins? Um, any demonstration or any details that you can provide on that would be helpful. Yeah, thank you, Richard. And I mean, the, the short answer is yes. As you can imagine, we've we've really dug into that as as part of our diligence. And yeah, I think we gave you some uh, data points there, um, both at the announcement and then also uh, in the form S four, where we show, for example, a twenty seven basis, a twenty seven uh, percentage point improvement um, in their uh, medical claims ratio, expense ratio uh, over five years. So, for example, if you look at the member cohort that they signed up in 2017, um, you know, in the first year that they came in, they had about 103% uh, medical claims expense ratio. That one over the next four years reduced to 76%. So that's the 27 percentage point increase or improvement, I should say, over four years. Uh, you know, if you look at the 2018 cohort, you've got a, uh, a, a, a similar uh, um, dynamic here where they start off very high, and then as they become managed better, as their health improves, you see uh, sort of a corresponding decrease in their medical claims expense ratio. Um, the same with the 2019 cohort. So, uh, you know, we, we do feel quite uh, quite uh, uh, positive, obviously, about their ability to uh, to do that. Um, and then on top of that, you then layer in, frankly, what one medical has been able to do by itself over time. You heard Amir talk today about the two-point reduction in uh, hemoglobin A1C for diabetics, um, which is yeah, uh, more than a virtual-only product, for example, tends to deliver. You've heard us talk about the 45% cost savings 
that uh, we published in peer-reviewed studies. Um, you've heard us about you know, some of the other cost savings uh, in, in, in studies as well. So you know, when you add those two companies together with, with our various approaches, uh, I think we feel we feel very good about our ability to in, to positively impact the health of those uh, Medicare Advantage members and uh, and all that flows from that. Okay, that's very helpful. And Amir, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the labor uh, market for you guys. Um, obviously, you're opening up a, a decent number of new markets, and, and just curious your thoughts with respect to any challenges out there that you're seeing. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Well, we think this is one of the kind of differentiated advantages of our model uh, we often talk about how we serve multiple key stakeholders. So, of course, we want to delight the, the consumer, the member, and serve employers and payers. Uh, we want to integrate across the healthcare ecosystem. But we also want to be the best place uh, to be a team member and the best place to practice medicine. And we've done a number of things here that we believe position ourselves powerfully. <laughs> so, first of all, we've, we've built our own uh, technology. And we've shown with our technology that we can – pardon me, reduce um, electronic health record tasks. We've shown about 40% less tasks than other providers we've seen. Uh, We leverage a salary-based model rather than a fee-for-service compensation model, which um, the fee-for-service system kind of encourages short transactional visits, and we try to have relationship-based care. We bundle digital health as part of that. That provides that uh, coverage, that wraparound coverage um, to our in-person team members. So we think we're very well positioned to continue to grow and to continue to attract staff differentially and um, and uh, be kind of that premier place uh, to practice medicine. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Daniel Grosslight with the city. Your line is open. Thanks for taking the question, guys, and congrats on the uh, strong quarter. I wanted to go back to the Iora acquisition for a bit. Um, you know, on the revenue synergies assumed in the acquisition, you noted in the proxy that you expect new incremental members growing from around 5,000 in 2022 to around 22,000 in 2030. I was hoping you could put a finer point on the split of those incremental members between one medical aging into Iora, Iora being referred by one medical members, increased awareness, uh, et cetera. Yeah, happy to. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I think when you take a step back on Iora, um, to your point, we see a couple of different opportunities for those members to show up here, right? Um, one, we now have 621,000 members. Uh, they all have parents. They all have grandparents. And, and keep in mind that uh, uh, with a 90 MPS and certainly uh, historically us renewing more than nine out of ten consumer members, uh, we feel that, thankfully, those 621,000 members that we have are going to be great brand ambassadors uh, at the kitchen table when they talk to their parents and grandparents about, uh, you know, what's the right health plan to sign up or what's the right, uh, what's the right uh, care model to sign up. Um, and, uh, you know, what we are hoping is that they are going to say, you know, uh, it doesn't <laughs> – the key thing is sign up with somebody who can provide you with one medical and IORA 
that's that's who I use, and uh, that's where I'm really uh, really happy with. That that's what we're hoping they will say. Um, yeah. In addition to that, you've got the expansion on the markets that you mentioned briefly, um, the seamless age-ins uh, of uh, of uh, members that are uh, currently one medical members and that over time will age into uh, to Medicare. And just to give you an example there, um, you know, we have about two to three thousand one medical members age into Medicare. Uh, per year on average, you know, obviously fluctuates, but that's probably not a bad number to think about. And, uh, you know, suppose you sign up or suppose you have 2,500 members aging into Medicare and you can keep half of them either under an MA plan or under the DC direct contracting model where you take risk, right? That's, that's, uh, 1,250 people per year, assuming hundred, a thousand dollars per member per month in revenue, uh, that alone is sort of $15 million of annualized revenue right there, right? And obviously that is to some extent cumulative as next year you've got, uh, you've got additional people um, age into Medicare as well. So, yeah, that's obviously a hypothetical example, but, uh, but hopefully it shows you how, how quickly the numbers can, up, can add up from something that we think, frankly, is, is, is relatively uh, low-hanging fruit. Got it. Okay, that's helpful. And then Bjorn, it sounds like from your commentary, you're not really changing your view on the general cadence of the business due to the Delta variant. Uh, is that right? And I just wanted to check to see if you've incorporated Delta at all into your assumptions for the back half of this year and next year. Yeah, so um, that is generally right, uh, that, that we haven't really changed our, our guidance. Uh, um, yeah, we think that uh, given some of, the, uh, some of the uncertainties that we see, uh, that is still the right thing to do. So maybe just to reiterate, um, what we are assuming for, for Q3 and Q4 is a uh, – Sort of a uh, you know, return to uh, to normal demand patterns um, that uh, that are sort of less impacted by COVID than what we've seen in the past. Uh, we uh, assume a relatively moderate amount of uh, of COVID testing. Uh, we certainly also don't expect any shelter in place, in fairness, uh, or uh, or any sort of pent up demand for the third care that we'll be uh, we'll be necessarily seeing over the next six months. So. Um, hopefully that that gives you some guidance as to how we are thinking about this. And again, um, you know, there are various ways to sort of get to uh, to, the, to the high end of the guidance. And uh, yeah, um, as usual, I think uh, it's it's not just an optimal model that will get us there, but uh, but there are def- different ways to uh, to get us to uh, to various uh, results within that guidance range. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, Bjorn. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jessica Tazen with Piper Sandler. Your line is open. Hi. Thank you for taking the question, um, and congrats on the quarter. So uh, one on the fourth quarter guidance, um, is the reacceleration in membership growth that you're forecasting this year and have historically reported mostly coming from the DTC channel or um, the enterprise market, and just how should we think about drivers underlying that fourth quarter reacceleration? Yeah, we we uh, yeah uh, we continue to see strong demand both on the enterprise and consumer side. 
you know, if you look at sort of the, the, the quarterly patterns, obviously while companies can add us at any time during their benefit year, a lot of them do make decisions uh, effective sort of one-one. And, you know, once we have sort of, once we are sort of over that hurdle, oftentimes they say, okay, now we've gotten to uh, to make the purchasing decision, we'll just roll you out sooner. So uh, that's one of the reasons why, you know, you see, uh, you see sort of Q4 and Q1 tend to have more membership signups, particularly on the enterprise side. But, uh, you know, just to reiterate, we, we see strong demand, continuing strong demand, both on the consumer side and the enterprise side. Thank you. Um, that's helpful. So then as a follow-up, you, you'll be in 22 markets next year. Are you able to sell enterprise memberships in those new markets this year for Jan 1 starts, um, or do you anticipate that membership growth is primarily going to come from the D2C channel in the first few quarters post-launch? Yeah, part of the power of our model and of adding One Medical Now allows us to go to enterprise accounts and um, – serve them in markets across the country where we have physical presence, but maybe where we just uh, might turn on our digital only one medical now solution. So um, that, that is uh, part of the reason why uh, one medical now has, has been uh, powerful. So that, that allows us to sell nationally and we kind of have this network effect and more markets uh, that we go into, the, the more we attract the larger and larger employers, which is then pulls us in, into additional markets. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Ryan Daniels with Wim Blair. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks for taking the question. apologize if you answered this. I've been hopping among multiple calls. But uh, the one I wanted to ask, it seems like your service offerings are really broadening. I noticed that you're doing some urgent care services in some markets like New York and San Francisco. So, was hoping you could talk a little bit about the expansion there, if that's kind of driven by health system partnerships and the longer-term opportunity to roll that out more broadly, and then maybe just some of the other stuff that you're offering that appears to be novel, like the nutrition and weight loss counseling. And you mentioned, um, I think, Amir, the mindset for corporations and the mental health. I think you've also got the SHIFT program for a group therapy. So just a little bit about you know how the service offerings at One Medical have been broadened over the last few years and where you're seeing the most success. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Well, well, I will say we're we're still in urgent issues in office or on demand, but but we are a longitudinal primary care model. But as we've been describing, uh, we can handle an array of things on our primary care model, uh, whether that's uh, diabetes management, and we spoke to the outsized performance we have there, whether it's behavioral health, whether it's leveraging health coaches or therapists or group visits, whether it's nutrition, whether it's um, – uh, well, woman care, LGBTQ plus care, um, uh, expertise in managing chronic diseases and chronic conditions like HIV. Uh, these are the things that we can do when we have longitudinal member relationships, and uh, and the relationships are really sticky. So uh, we've shown that we uh, can offer that range of services, as we noted on our earnings call of our ten largest sales in the quarter. Sixty percent of them had multiple offerings. And we think that shows the power of having um, a, a primary care-based model uh, where you can manage the whole person's health and care. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. 
Our next question comes from the line of Donna Hooker with Key Bank. Sir, your line is open. Oh, great. Great. Good afternoon. Real, real quick, um, did, I didn't think you had mentioned anything about free cash flow, so it's exciting to see you adjust the EBITDA positive um, at this point. But, you know, any kind of update in terms of, you know, maybe getting closer than expected to a free cash flow? Hello? Sorry, Bjorn, I think you're on mute. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Hello? Yep, we can hear you. Okay. So, um, sorry for, uh, for the technical issues here. Um, obviously, the EBITDA performance will uh, flow through to, uh, to uh, get us a better starting point on the, uh, on the cash flow as well. Um, we are going to continue to invest in our offices so uh, you know you're going to continue to sort of see the uh, the uh, additional cash flow drag from us opening up new geographies opening up new offices um, but certainly the uh, the EBITDA uh, outperformance this year and the ability to uh, to now have pulled forward the uh, time for being uh, uh, um, EBITDA positive uh, certainly will flow through on the cash flow statement as well I would imagine Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of David Larson with VTIG. Your line is open. Hi. Um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, potential revenue synergies with IORA and the Medicare space in particular? Um, is, is there any possible way to supplement the revenue you might get for those Medicare members or MA members? Is it possible to to collect partnership revenue for some of those members in, in some way from your from various hospitals? And then um, can you maybe talk a little bit about in-cell potentials into those NA plans for the commercial products? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks David. No, we, we really think about these in, in, in different models. The, the seniors and the Medicare Advantage uh, and direct contracting are, are really in these uh, full-risk models, um, whereas in the commercial world, as we talked before on the call, most employers are kind of in PPO plans, and so the models are different uh, there in, in, in the industry. So um, I would think about those revenue models in, in that way. Uh, but as Bjorn previously described, there is tremendous revenue synergies here in being able to sell and market across a range of ages and across every stage of life, uh, from pediatrics to adults to the golden years, as we like to say. Um, and so we do anticipate having folks who are in one medical today. Um, some of them may age into Medicare, and we could look um, at direct contracting or Medicare Advantage models and, and, and put them in those models. Uh, we may have folks who have parents or grandparents, as Bjorn previously described, who'd, who'd like to join uh, this combined model and we can uh, find their way into models there. And we may have folks in Iora who are uh, <clears throat> aging adults that might have uh, younger uh, family members who can sign up as well. So we really see the cross-marketing uh, and, and, and growth and sales opportunities as, as being significant. Great. Thanks very much. And, and then one of the things I've always liked about One Medical is your the, the earnings profile of the business itself. I mean, congratulations on 
the good EBITDA for the quarter. With Iora, obviously, um, there's a bit lower EBITDA margin there. Any color or initial thoughts on, in, in your view, when you would like to see Iora EBITDA break even? I, I think that might be one of the things weighing on the stock. Any any color or just sort of high-level thoughts around that would be great, I think. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we obviously provided in the uh, in the form is for, um, um, you know, projections, forecasts, and, and, and extrapolations there, uh, together with the view on, on, on synergies. Um, so I think that probably is, is where I'll have to point you to here, given that we haven't closed the two companies yet and, and, and everything else. Um, yeah, maybe just uh, taking a step back. I think what uh, what One Medical has shown over the last uh, last several years certainly is that uh, we are very focused on on our operations. We are very focused on responsible growth um, and and balancing sort of the various stakeholders. And I think what you'll see as sort of a combined company is you'll see us continuing to do that. Um, and you know certainly while while the percentage of EBITDA margin, uh, um, you know, we are guiding towards sort of a 17% plus uh, combined EBITDA margin compared to our 20% plus standalone. Um, so, you know, that percentage is obviously on a much higher dollar number. So, uh, yeah, the way we think about this, frankly, is that it is going to be accretive to our EBITDA margin in terms of dollars. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Hal Lindra Singh with Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Yeah, this is actually Jalendra Singh from Credit Suisse. Um, I actually want to go back to some of the disclosures in uh, your S4 proxy, primarily around revenue synergies of $377 million in 2025. Two questions there. First, it looks like the EBITDA impact is pretty minimal uh, uh, in the next three, four years, uh, actually negative. Uh, Help us understand some of the investments required to drive those synergies over the next three to four years. And another data point, which was referenced on the call earlier, uh, 15,000 incremental members by 2025. If I look at PMPM, 377 million revenue and 15,000 uh, looks PMPM pretty high. Are there, does synergy number include anything beyond additional members? Uh, just trying to un- reconcile that 15,000 member count versus your revenue synergy target. So there's obviously a lot in here. Uh, I I think what I would point you back towards is what I mentioned earlier about the dynamics that you have uh, in the Medicare program, where um, if you sign up a new member, unfortunately, many of those members, most of those members, they tend not to be particularly well managed, right? their uh, health conditions are not in check. Um, they do not. They have deferred chronic care, etc. So uh, early on, those members do tend to have um, a higher uh, a higher uh, medical cost associated with them. And then over time, you manage their health. They become uh, yeah the the uh, uh, healthier relative to where they can be, and uh, and you do the right thing by those members, and as a result, the associated costs with those members also go down as their health improves. And yeah, I, I think uh, when you look at the synergies in the form S4, you've got to keep in mind that there is sort of this cohort effect that again we already talked about, where 
over time, you have this decline in, uh, in total medical costs. But every year as you sign up new members, every year as you sign up uh, you know, an increasing number of members, obviously, you know, uh, that relative mix shifts, and, and, and that's, I think, a little bit what you see in terms of the, uh, the overall synergies here that uh, were disclosed in the formats for, which really, frankly, are a uh, testament to, uh, to the growth that, uh, that uh, you know, we believe we can uh, generate here together with uh, IORA going forward. Okay, uh, just uh, one uh, follow-up on uh, since you have announced IORA Health Deal, have you guys had any conversation with your health system partners in your markets or even uh, health systems in uh, even IORA markets in terms of some potential synergies you guys can generate there? Any feedback you can share from those conversations or is it too early? Yeah, as I previously mentioned, I think one of the powers, thank you, Jalindra, one of the power of our models is we have done this clinical and digital integration across primary and specialty care. So that uh, absolutely is something that we can uh, bring to um, uh, the Medicare space, the Medicare Advantage space, and collaborate with our uh, health network partners uh, as well. So we're very excited about uh, those those opportunities and think that's another strong differentiator uh, in, in our model of care. Thank you. I'm not showing any further questions in the queue. I will now like to turn the call back over to Amir for closing remarks. Well, uh, thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for the interest and the great discussion and questions today, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Have a great evening. Thanks so much, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a wonderful day.